Under the Australian system of parliamentary democracy, the Prime Minister may call a federal election any time within the three-year term to which the House of Representatives is elected. Australian political history is replete with examples of Prime Ministers going early to maximise periods of popularity and or catch their opposition napping. In 1974, for example, Gough Whitlam had served not even a year and a half before he sought an extended mandate. In 1998, John Howard had just cleared 18 months before he asked the country for permission to crack on. There are other less dramatic, though equally riveting, examples of Australian Prime Ministers going early when they believe themselves at an advantage. So when an Australian Prime Minister announces an election to be held on the last day possible before they are technically enacting a coup d'etat, it can be reasonably inferred that they are not dauntlessly confident about their prospects. The incumbent, Scott Morrison, has just done exactly that and very clearly isn't. Our government is not perfect. We've never claimed to be. But we are up front. And you may see some flaws, but you can also see what we have achieved. Australians will vote on May 21st. If opinion polls are any guide, Morrison would indeed be ill-advised to be over-investing time and energy in planning his second full term. He and his Conservative coalition government, and we must here address the eternal counterintuitive irritation that Australia's principal Conservative Party are called the Liberals, are polling a distance behind the centre-left Labour Party, under its newish leader, Anthony Albanese. Labour, by the way, contribute to the annoyances of covering Australian politics for overseas audiences by obstinately using the U-less American spelling of Labour for reasons occluded by Times Mist, though this is obviously less of an issue in audio media. That paragraph is 16 seconds nobody's getting back. Scott Morrison has not been an especially audacious, inspiring or transformative Prime Minister, but in fairness has never seemed like he wanted to be. The image he has projected of an earnest, plodding suburban dad has probably not been that much of an artifice. In an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald's Deborah Snow earlier this year, Morrison countered an accusation that he lacked big ideas with the retort that, as he saw it, the ordinary, pleasant, safe, unfussy Australian life was the big idea. This is a makeable case, but it has been made before by Prime Ministers less prone to avoidable blunders. I've obviously returned from leave and I know that that has caused some great anxiety in Australia and Jenny and I acknowledge that. I'm sure Australians are fair-minded and understand um, that when you make a promise to your kids you try and keep it, but as Prime Minister you have other responsibilities and I accept that and I accept the criticism. And that's why Jenny and I agreed that it was important that I return, particularly after the terrible tragedies that we saw late this week. Morrison has seemed tone deaf in responding to the natural disasters which any Australian Prime Minister should anticipate having to deal with, and shifty when questioned about his faith, something which generally makes his irreligious country suspicious. 
added to which the government Morrison has led for three years has been in power for nearly ten, a historically unusually long period for Australians not to get entirely bored with having the same party in charge. It's a choice between a government you know and a Labor opposition that you don't. While a Morrison victory is unlikely, it is not impossible. At Australia's previous federal election in 2019, few thought Scott Morrison could win. It is not even clear whether Morrison would have bet on his own chances. He had become leader of a rancorous party in an internal coup. He followed two Liberal Prime Ministers who hadn't worked out, Tony Abbott by being just a massive weirdo, Malcolm Turnbull by being in the wrong party. And the last 48 hours before polls opened were turned into an advertisement for the virtues of the Labour Party at its vigorous, daring best by the death of Bob Hawke, one of Labour's and Australia's greatest leaders. And Morrison still won. I have always believed in miracles. Hoping to thwart a similar mishap this time is Labour leader Anthony Albanese, who replaced Bill Shorten after the 2019 loss. Albanese is by background old-school Labour, raised by a single parent in public housing in one of Sydney's less glamorous inner suburbs. Albanese handed out his first Labour leaflet as a nine-year-old campaigning to get Gough Whitlam elected in 1972. Albanese has since repositioned himself as a Bob Hawkean pragmatist, but is running a campaign notably light on actual policy, uncharitable interpretations of a couple of recently flubbed lines have suggested that this gives him less to forget. What's the national unemployment rate? National unemployment rate at the moment is, uh, I think it's 5.4, sorry, I'm not sure what it is. Election 2022 does not shape as an era-defining clash of visions. This is no Howard versus Keating 96 or Menzies versus Evert 54 or Scullin versus Bruce 29. Whoever wins on May 21st, Australia will continue to saunter serenely through history as one of Earth's most supernaturally fortunate countries. In other jurisdictions facing such a low-stakes contest, turnout might be a problem, but Australia, as if recognising that its politics were not going to be the stuff of feverish passions, made voting compulsory in 1924. It is, of course, arguable that this has helped make Australian politics so agreeably stolid by marginalising the angry fringes. Nevertheless, Australian voters will be offered the traditional enticement of the polling station barbecue, or as it has come to be known, the democracy sausage, as they determine whether or not Scott Morrison is on a roll. For Monocle24, I'm Andrew Miller.